you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from the ChrisVossShow.com. The Chris Voss Show. Dot com. And if you don't know it's the ChrisVossShow.com, what the hell have you been listening to for the last 12 years? I mean, really, seriously. Like, uh, do I have to tell you anymore what show this is? Anyway, guys, we have an amazing author on the show. She's going to be talking about her new book, Sentient, How Animals Illuminate the Wonder of Our Human Senses. Comes out on February 22nd, 22. That's funny. We just had someone on the show yesterday who's the same day. So that's got to be easy to remember. 2 22 22. How's that for awesome? Jackie Higgins is on the show. She's going to be talking about her new book. You want to pre-order this so you can get it uh, wherever fine books are sold and take advantage of uh, reading it first in your book club. But before we get into her and what she does, she's a Oxford University uh, graduate in zoology. So we're going to be talking to her. It's going to be a really smart discussion. Uh, but to uh, maintain, make sure you capture all that smartness, go to youtube.com forward slash Chris Voss. Hit the bell notification button. Go to goodreads.com forward slash Chris Voss. See everything we're reading, reviewing. Go to all of our groups, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. And also go see the massive uh, LinkedIn group newsletter that we have. That thing is killing over there in our 132,000 LinkedIn group that's under the name of Jackie is going to be with us. She's a graduate of Oxford. Oxford University in zoology, and she's worked for Oxford Scientific Films for over a decade, along with National Geographic, PBS Nova, and the Discovery Channel. She has also written, directed, and produced films at the BBC Science Department. She lives in London with her family, but she took some time away from them to come on her show today. Welcome to the show, Jackie. How are you? Very well, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. We certainly appreciate it. Are you you're coming from us from London right now? No, I'm no, I'm somewhere near the Welsh Hills. So oh. it's all dark outside at the moment. But if you look out the window, you can see a little river and a little wood, peckers oh. and herons on the water, and the occasional kingfisher if you're lucky. There you go. So it's still coming to us from across the pond, as it were, as I, they, as I like to call. So give us your plugs so people can find you on the interwebs. So you can find me on um, Instagram and on Twitter. Mm. Oh, awesome sauce. Do you want to give the the, the Twitter profile oh, uh, handle name? Yes, J.M. Higgins or J.M. underscore Higgins. I should there know this. <laughs> you just want to make people work for it. I, I see what's going on. Yeah, okay. I'm there somewhere. So uh, what motivates you want to write this? So I, like you said in your fantastic intro of me, I, I studied zoology at Oxford, and I've always been interested in looking at the animal kingdom to better understand ourselves. So I think of zoology as a mirror, that we can hold up to more clearly see ourselves. You and I are related. We're distant cousins. And we're distant cousins of every other human that's walking the planet here today, in the Ukraine, in London, in America, and past and present. But also the same goes for animals and my dog, the lettuce I had at lunch. And so it's this idea that I see the animal kingdom as one big sprawling, or all life on earth as one big sprawling family. And I use the, in the book. I use them to better understand ourselves. Mm. So, me eating that salad is I'm eating my relatives. 
Yeah, some some are more close than others. They had a, <laughs> to the they had a, thieves. They're the they're awful relatives. I think yeah, they had it coming. So are on scum. Yeah, well, you got you got those awesome relatives. The, the the people you don't talk to at the uh, Thanksgiving dinner or at the uh, family gathering there. It's always Uncle Joe who wants to hug all the women a little too hard uh, and sit on and have everyone sit on his lap. Yeah, scars <laughs> from my childhood. Anyway, enough jokes. Oh well, let's let's, let's oh okay. Well, no, we'll get on with your book. Well, a sense of experience. My... So the reason, so sentient is about how we sense the world. And this, and this myth set up by Aristotle in 350 BCE, that we have five senses. So we all have learnt to parrot this from nursery, that we see mm-hmm. and we hear and we smell and mm-hmm. we taste and we touch. And you think that those, are the, those senses circumscribe our sensory experience. But... Um, and this 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 myth is 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 commonplace today, both in kind of conversations and nurseries, but also in scientific circles. And yet, we all know that scientists know that there are very many other senses that we use. Mm-hmm. The senses that we know and love have split and splintered into different senses. Mm. And also, there are senses that we use that we're not so conscious of. Mm. Um, so I explore this idea of the different senses, and I use animals because. Because our every waking moment is circumscribed by these senses, we take them for granted. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, we aren't really aware of what we're doing when we're seeing even colour, shadow. Anyway, so so I use animals to get a bit of distance on ourselves so that we kind of take note about how we're seeing colour or we take note about how we're hearing and whether we're using two ears to hear. And so, mm-hmm. so the animals give us a little bit of distance on ourselves to appreciate ourselves as well. Yeah, because so we're like really... It. We're really animals when it comes down to it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Especially some people on some of that. Some more than others. One, that one wing of the politics. I don't know. I'm just doing jokes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, have you seen yeah. it lately? No, I'm just kidding. So let's talk about exceptional animal senses. What what uh, what sort? Of, actually, if you don't mind, I want to interject because off of your bio. Are, so are you one of the people who's responsible for all those nature things where, where they're like, and the wild animal is in the grass. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, I used to ah. make, I'm afraid so. <laughs> I used to make wildlife films. So I used to ah. make scientific films, as you said, mm. making, you know, explorers and specials for Nat Geo. I made a few films out in the States. We made a wonderful, if I don't say so myself, a wonderful special on the Sonora Desert. That was one of my favorites. So yes, and when I started making wildlife films, there was this amazing series called Supersense over Mm. in Britain. I'm sure it came to the States. Mm. Um, And that was how, and that was about animals, extraordinary ways of um, sensing the world. So that also, so the color of that, the kind of the mantis shrimp's extraordinary color vision or the star-nosed mole's exceptional ability to feel its way through underground burrows or the octopus's exceptional sense of body. Mm. And using these exceptional senses to understand less exceptional senses, but when you think about them, we too are rather wonderful. Mm. Well, some of us, some of us more or less than others. Some of us more than others. So uh, let's not let's not give some people too much credit. So let's talk about these exceptional animal senses. Like, what are, what are some other examples of of sensory abilities that you find in the animal kingdom? So, so let me think. So, for example, one of the chapters on touch is on the vampire bat, mm-hmm. and the vampire bat is able, with its nose leaf, to sense such fine changes in temperature. 
that it can actually detect from heat um, the vein throbbing beneath its victim's neck as it swoops in. So as it's kind of clambering over its, the, its prey's hide, it's able exactly to target where the blood flows closest to the skin. And wow. that's through heat. The chat <laughs> amazing. The chat yeah. study just won a Nobel Prize. Wow. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to be wearing uh, long sleeve shirts now whenever I go to Austin. Yeah. In Austin, in Texas, they have a bridge and these there's like homeless of bats that are protected that live underneath it. And during the day, they will just all fly out. And it's like, I don't know, a million bats. It's the most amazing thing if you've ever amazing. seen it. But yeah, that they just gives you. They never hit you. You'll stand in the middle of this throng of bats and they'll always mm-hmm. avoid you. Isn't that amazing? And they're blind, amazing. right? They're running on radar. Yeah. They're using echolocation. They're, they wow. are essentially seeing the world through sound. And the wonder of that is, is that, that you know, that they're using peeps or pitches, such a high ultrasound that they'll be chattering merrily above your head. Wow. To them, a cacophony of noise and to us, absolutely nothing. Silent. Yeah. Silent swooping, but echolocating and using that sonar to see us. I heard a translation of them one time and it was like, look at this moron. Like, what? what <laughs> Like get on a treadmill or something, buddy. And I was like, "That's really rude. You guys That's are, really you guys are asshole bats." And yeah, you gotta get, you gotta, you gotta speak bats and fly back. Yeah, well, there's that. So the human animal, were you, of course, a part of the animal kingdom? What sort of uh, research did you find out about us and our comparisons to the animal kingdom? So I met people with with exceptional senses. So take, for example, if we're talking about the very first chapter, I use I use the peacock mantis shrimp, which is this rather bonkers crustacean that you'd find in the Great Barrier Reef, whose mm-hmm. sight is exceptional. He's got he's got one of the fastest and most powerful punches in the world. Gram per gram, if you if you size him up to the size of Mike Tyson, he'd definitely take on Mike Tyson in a heavyweight boxing match, probably punches lights out. So but he but he's got exceptional sensors in his light sensors that enables him to see color in a whole new way. Oh. And so this enabled me to talk about color in our eyes and how we see color. And you and I unless you're colorblind probably have so I know that I have three cones. These are three types of cones in the back of my eye and with these three cones I'm able to see every color in the rainbow. Mm-hmm. But there are some people, and they tend to be women. In fact, they are women because these these cones are inherited and coded for in the sex chromosomes. And they have a fourth cone. Instead of being a trichromate like us, mm-hmm. they are a tetrachromate. And through this fourth cone, they have a whole new dimension of being able to see color. So the mm-hmm. rainbow to them is something even more spectacular. Wow. Um, yeah. Now yeah. is that the that's the that's the a peacock mantis shrimp? That's the peacock mantis shrimp. Yeah, I'm that looking at it right now. I think there's a guy I see in TikTok who has one of these, and he's always throwing stuff in it, and it's punching the crap out of stuff. Like it just it'll yeah. just kill anything. In fact, he he the one I learned from is you can't put your finger in there because it'll he'll break it off. Thumb splitters. They're thumb, thumb splitters. splitters. Yeah, that's right. They um they are. I mean. They're not particularly big, but they have a big personality. And they've been studied. Sheila Patek at the University of California, Berkeley, has studied the speed and the force of this punch. And it's mighty. Um, In fact, they have to be made. Their shell 
has to be so strong because because they're so forceful and scientists are looking at the composition of the shell to create to create uh, weaponry or kind of what is it that you wear when you're a knight in shining uh, armor? Uh, uh, yeah, chainmail and armor. That kind of thing that's basically impregnable. Wow, that's the idea. Yeah, I've seen it at work. He he like throws like little stuff in there and it goes it goes up to him and then just whacks him like and it's just it's just amazing how fast it is but yeah note to self don't ever date a peacock mantis that sounds like it's not going to end well let's talk about the diversity of uh, human experience and and you you came across i I think some people who see the world differently in australia absolutely so Mm -hmm. conchetta antico is one of these ladies i was telling you about she has a fourth cone she is a tetrachromate holy crap so she sees, as I said, many more colors in, in the rainbow. What's, what's extraordinary is that her daughter has a rare form of colorblindness. And this, is, this really got to the heart of the matter for me with regards to perception. It's a very private experience. So Conchetta can paint these exceptional landscapes full of color mm-hmm. in order to try and get you to understand what it is she's seeing. Mm-hmm. But you'll never be able to see through her eyes. <laughs> And then for her daughter, who she you know, spends time painting with, and before she realized that her daughter had this colorblindness, mm-hmm. her daughter could never see what it is that Conchetta is trying to share. Oh, wow. And Conchetta, when she was born, of course, never realized that she had this exceptional vision because like, I thought her, it's it. day. Wow. So... So, so it really, so, so the chapter is, it's the opening chapter of the book and it talks about the private perception of experience and the huh. Gabby Jordan, who is the scientist who dedicated her life to find one of these tetrachromate rim- women. She knew, she knew about the genetics. She mm. knew that it would be possible, but of course no one had come forward saying, well, I see exceptional colors because what they see is what they see. Mm-hmm. So she dedicated her life to finding and to building. She's a trichromate. She's got regular vision. And she had to build a test to test for <laughs> colors that she couldn't see. And then she found this woman, but she has no idea what it is this woman can see. I mean, it's, it's my it's crazy. It's according crazy. to According to her website, she can see 100 million colors? Yeah. Holy I mean, it, I think it's difficult to number them, but she is in a she's in a whole new a whole new level. She sees a whole dimension of color yeah. that is not accessible to our eyes. I've been seeing this uh, like meme or test passed around like social media, where it's like not everyone can see all the colors, and it's like a thing where you can count the colors and it has like a palette, yeah, grape or whatever, yep. and. I wasn't sure if that was because it's the internet, so that, that was yep. some sort of BS thing. But I guess some people can and some people can. So the, absolutely. So there was a dress that hit the headlines over in Britain. Have you? Do you know the dress? The the golden, exactly, or the yeah. golden or the white or the black and the blue. Huh. And the and the population was divided because half saw black and blue, mm-hmm. <laughs> and half saw gold and white. So yes, you we we see. We see different worlds. My red might well be very different from your red. That's really extraordinary. I mean, I've had girlfriends that they they don't like. They can go to the paint store and they can see like a million different colors, right? And those swatches that they give you. And yeah. me, I'm just like, oh, this is blue, green, red. Yeah. Yeah. 
But maybe okay. you're not interested either. There's I, that, that's so maybe you can see it. it. Maybe you'd rather be out across the other shop. Yeah. <laughs> I remember one time we we started one of our companies and hired these employees and 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 they came in and they go, oh, these the colors in the walls offend us. I'm like, they're fucking white. Uh, <laughs> like what? Like, well, I I don't feel creative, and I'm like, well paint it however you want and if you paint it i'll buy the paint but other than that get get the hell to work and i just could never figure it out any, any office i ever worked at is always white but you know i've, I've had girlfriends that are like oh, this this color i don't know affects me and i'm just like well fucking get over it <laughs> turn the lights out <laughs> like i got shit to do man i'm not really worried about the colors and stuff i know there are, i mean but, the painting industry the wall paint industry yeah. over in britain is crazy there's so many there's so many colors white so many shades with silly silly acronyms yeah but I, but i've but i but you know i'm i i do appreciate people that have an art thing mm. like I've always created companies, but I've never created something that's like a design-based company. Like when you go into a really nice restaurant, it has that beautiful ambiance and the design. I've always looked around and thought, man, you must have to hire somebody to come do this because I could never do this with a company. I could do the, like the food part and the business part, but I could yeah. never do like putting roses up or yes. making it look pretty and stuff. So it's some people really have a talent for that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting looking at Conchetta's artworks because mm – -hmm. She did this whole series on Twilight when, for us, the world is leached of color. Mm -hmm. But for her, the subtlety of color still remains. So she's still seeing many colors in, in what to us looks very bland. Wow. That's um, going to be an interest. Maybe her world's better than mine then. Maybe that's more funner. Yeah. Because I don't know. I'm yeah. just looking at everything in black and white pretty much at this point. I might as well be a dog for all I know. What are some other aspects of the book we want to touch on? Um, Conservation, so climate change. We could talk about the secret senses, these senses that you might not be aware that you have. So I talk about, for example, sense of balance with the cheetah, oh, yeah. uh, sense of time with, with a trash line orb-weaving spider, and sense of body. This is a very interesting one, this idea that when you close your eyes, Chris, where your body is, where your limbs are and what they're doing with such precision that you can, can you do this? Can you bring your hand to your nose, your fingertip? Oh, I think I just missed. Yeah, I got, I got it, but got I'm, it. I'm used to doing this with the, when I'm drinking with the police officer. It's, well, it's, it's the, it's the first test, isn't it? It's a lot um, of practice. So this is, yeah. This is the police are testing whether our proprioception or our sense of body yeah. is addled. It's easily addled. With a with a glass of something nice in the evening. <laughs> so, but this is a sense that we call on all the time throughout the day, but unknowingly, it's so automatic and so familiar, we don't notice it. In mm. fact, the only time we notice it is when it goes. And I met mm. a gentleman who suffered a really ni nasty virus. High temperatures, felt completely strange. Ended up in hospital felt like he was floating above the bed, but they weren't normal fever dreams because when he came to, he could not feel his body. And with oh. his eyes closed, he had lost all sense of his body. Wow. He'd lost the feeling of touch. Oh, and he wow. Couldn't, yeah. He couldn't feel things, couldn't feel being felt, but also wow. he had lost his sense of body. So as if he was disembodied. Wow. Wow. So sounds these, like Friday nights at my house after a <laughs> bottle of vodka. 
So there is, and he's never had it. He's never got it back. Really? So never came back. Wow. That would be awful. It's incredible. So he, he, he's really amazing, inspirational man. And I met him and he basically through sheer determination and will, he taught himself how to move again because this sense enables us coordinated movement. Yeah. So it wasn't that he'd lost motion. He said my arm would be backtracking off and I wouldn't know what I what was doing. It could be kind of saying hello to a nurse without him really realizing what it was doing. Mm-hmm. If he looked at it, he knew what it was doing, but mm-hmm. otherwise he couldn't feel where his limbs were. Wow. So he hadn't lost motion he'd mm. lost the ability to control motion with this sense of proprioception wow. body sense that's the excuse i have anytime i've accidentally you know bumped into somebody <laughs> i don't know what that means but yes yeah, so so ian had to in order to learn to mm. walk well to first of all sit up and then to kind of get his legs out of the bed to stand and then to walk mm-hmm. he had to break down every single motion that we take for granted. He had to learn how to do, use his hands to make conversation more naturalistic. He had to teach himself gestures again. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. Hey, you're like trying to signal people and you can't do it. And you, incredible. So he had to reteach himself. It took years. I mean, the doctors didn't really know what to do with him because these cases are exceptionally rare. Mm -hmm. And today he uses vision so his eyes take over from what this sense of body does for us. Mm-hmm. But should the lights go off, yeah, falls like a ragdoll. The moment his eyes lose contact with his body, he loses control of his body. Holy crap. Like, even if he's watching fireworks up in the sky mm-hmm. and that little bit of blackness you get just after the brightness of a firework, mm-hmm. he staggers. Wow. Because that little bit of blackness has kind of interrupted his his control over his body. That's insane. Now, yeah. you also talk in your book about COVID and sensory deprivation. Did, did you have COVID or are you you're starting to see how COVID you know, people lose some other things too? I mean, sometimes smell and taste. Yeah, I, I did get COVID. This time oh. last year, I got COVID. And the first thing I that went awry was my, my cup of coffee in the morning tasted abysmal. So yes, so I talked about, I mean, the nice story in the book about that is that what we think of as taste mm-hmm. is actually mainly smell. Mm-hmm. So flavor, flavor is generated by when you're chewing on your toast or you're chewing on a piece of chocolate, your tongue will taste the sweetness of the chocolate. Mm -hmm. A lot of the aromas and the kind of chocolatiness of the chocolate, you chew and the the smell molecules travel around the back up into your nose. Mm. And the brilliant thing is your brain then hoodwinks you to think that that was tasted on your tongue. That retronasal smell was tasted on your tongue. The combination of smell and taste are amalgamated into flavor. Wow. I didn't even know that. That's a lot of work going on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so the taste, so taste was interesting. So really, I think when I got COVID, I didn't lose taste. I lost my sense of smell Mm. because coffee just tasted bitter. None of that coffee and chocolate the same. I mean, so that was all grim. But the reason I wrote an article actually for the UK press, because one of the scientists in my book, uh, one of the touch scientists talks of touch as being 
talks of touch as being not a sentimental indulgence, but a biological necessity. And he's very anxious about the, the, um, the isolation that many of us were in, the mm. elderly, the young, the demonization of touch mm. really concerns him. So in my book, I talk about I divided touch into two senses. Mm. Um, so the star-nosed mole with its little little starry nose, which it uses to feel its way through burrows, that that explains our sense of being able to feel the topography of the world, the lay of the land, feel something's texture, shape, size. But then there is the sense of being touched, the emotions, the pleasure, the pain involved in being touched, and that's those use different senses from the ones that I'm using to map the world. So mm. different senses and one of these senses i mean skin to me became this well scientists have called it the last great sensory frontier because we're still finding out about the senses in our skin like i said the chap who won the nobel prize who'd done that study on the vampire bat but also looking at our skin and understanding how we feel pain mm -hmm. these are receptors and sensors within our skin that enable something to feel spicy or painful or hot or cold and 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 the and so backtracking to the covid the the lack of touch and and the the worry that Francis McGlone is a scientist who who worries about the lack of touch that mm -hmm. we suffered during covid he's involved in studying a sensor only recently discovered in our skin that responds to a caress mm -hmm. And he thinks that this this sensor is is not just important in terms of social bonding and getting pleasure and touching your children, but also is important perhaps when babies are in the womb yeah. and covered with this little lanugo hair and mm -hmm. the warm swirl of the amniotic fluid in the warm womb, warm womb, mm -hmm. um, keeps the baby, gives the baby a sense of itself and the mother mm -hmm. then caressing the baby enables the baby to learn the difference between myself and some so he he thinks touch is really important in ways that we have for our psychology and our mental health in ways that we have yet to understand i would agree with that i mean when you hug somebody you kind of get that that i don't know what is it goes in your brain dopamine or or something you get that rush of like i think we need each other as human beings to do that and maybe some of that comes from our experience in the womb and and we need we need to i don't know it helps us somehow I, so that yes. would make sense yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and yet we were all we've we've demonized touch i mean i think only now in london are we getting back to that that idea of shaking hands or or, or this or it's still it's still there's still a distance between people but Bit by bit, I think maybe. Anyway, I think we lot we we we've lost something vitally human throughout that period. Hopefully, we can get it back and I don't know repair what it was. I know my sister who is has MS. My younger sister has MS and dementia. Was trapped in her, her care center, and for like a year, my mom couldn't visit her. And you know, my mom was goes almost every day to visit her. And it was really hard for my mom not to be able to touch uh, her daughter and make her feel secure. We could talk over the phone or Zoom or sometimes go stand outside the window. But, yeah. you know, it was life or death and she ended up getting COVID anyway. But these, these hospitals. Okay? 
She's she's okay. She weirdly enough, she she was asymptomatic both times. She didn't know she had it. In fact, they just lied to her because she's got dementia. And they just said, "We're putting you in a separate room because someone else has it. We just want to make sure you're protected." And she's like, "Okay, well, whatever." And it was a it was a real blessing because she's she's a real mess in in with the MS in the wheelchair and everything. We thought for sure she got it that she'd be a goner. So we're we're real lucky. I'm yeah. sorry to hear about that, but I'm I'm delighted she was okay. But yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. but not it's being able to touch her and stuff. That lack of touch for yeah. your mother, but also for her. Yeah. I mean, has she talked about it? Has do you think she reacted differently? Do you? She doesn't remember. I mean, from yeah, yeah. she can have lunch and not remember she ate. So right, yeah, yeah. we're at that point. But yeah, I think my mom really believes that that not having that touch, not having being able to you know have her mom there and love and care for. Her, that she slid further into her dementia. And yeah. I think a lot of people did. And I think you mentioned that earlier in the show, a lot of old people, a lot of old people just died because, because you know, they weren't getting contact with and love and affection. Yeah. Really we well, we saw this. To, Go ahead. Just to interrupt. That's something I found rather magical when I was researching touch. It's the first sense to come online in the womb. Oh, really? and the Last sense to leave us when we die. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so I just hope someone was holding the lack of touch, particularly when people were ill or passing away. That lack of touch must have been what well, that makes me feel very upset. Yeah, the, I know that a lot of the nurses, because you can bring the family in, uh, a lot of the nurses would hold hold the hands of of people when they would pass. And yeah, it's it's difficult and hard. And I can see why it's important. We get that with love and affection when we have a mate, being able to hold them, touch, cuddle, hug. There's something that that gives you that feeling of even like as a man when my girlfriend would would sit beside me or sit in my lap sleeping or watching a netflix or something and and i would feel have feel like a protector which is a male thing we we feel like we want to be ah i got this like i'm I'm protecting my family we're we're into that sort of thing and that that triggers through that touch and that feeling of that of that modality and stuff. So well, the yeah, thing, the other sense that you don't have is smell because smell is super important in in those interactions as well. Yeah, um, I mean, what we're doing right now is a little bit sterile. I mean, you're over wherever you are, and all we've got is sound and vision to rely on. Yeah. So no touch, no. I can't smell you. <laughs> well, you probably don't want to. I want to talk. Well, and I would be night, smelling so. you, and I would be making kind of conscious decisions and also unconscious decisions. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you don't know. I went to Taco Bell last night, so it might there might be a smell over here. You don't want to have a thing. So but I mean, that's, that's another. That was another chapter in the book, and the unconscious. I use the giant peacock of the moth. Um, oh, yeah. And the discussion about pheromones. Pheromones are a bit of a oh, yeah. dirty word in the in in human pheromones in scientific mm-hmm. circles but i looked at how smell is really imp- smell is has a has a privileged access mm-hmm. to the amygdala in our brain the emotional center mm-hmm. so um one neuroscientist rachel hertz hijacked brilliantly descartes words and said i smell therefore i feel mm-hmm. So, so again, back to being male protector, huggling up with your, your girlfriend, your mother, your sister. Smell is really important. Yeah. Especially if they've had Taco Bell the night before. They want to be doing that. The, I know pheromones, yeah, are a big deal. Are women attract? I, I've heard this uh, kicking around a little bit. Are, can women tell how, how much testosterone you have and it, it affects their attraction? Oh, golly, I don't know. I, I don't, don't know. know. 
Well, there I'm, you go. There's your next book. So. <laughs> I mean, I certainly, like I said earlier, I'll certainly be making conscious and subconscious decisions about. Yeah. But I know pheromones uh, on both sides, they're attracted to. And yes. then they put it in all sorts of perfumes and everything else. That yes. Do. There's a big market making a little bit of a nonsense out of human pheromones. I mean, they haven't yet been found or bottled, but I'm I mean, a... they're found throughout the animal kingdom. And so one, one of my scientists, Tristan Wyatt, said, it's, it's ridiculous to think that they won't be found in us at some stage and they won't yeah. be involved in human courtship. The one, the one example where pheromones are most likely to be, a human, pher- a human pheromone is most likely to be found, is between a mother and her baby. Mm. So There's really interesting work coming out of Normandy from Benoist Charles Laboratory, and mothers release a pheromone that be- newborn babies basically ena- it enables them to latch on and find food oh, so wow. breastfeeding and it's a pheromone that is a pheromone basically is is a chemical so i could release it if i was breastfeeding a baby mm. but you could give it to another woman who is having problems the very same one that i released it's not particular to a person it's particular mm. to species mm. um anyway. i've seen i've oh, I, I, sorry I about have it. <laughs> I have huskies and I, my friends will breed huskies. And I've seen videos where the huskies are like blind and somehow they're still able to find mom and they're able to find the nipples. Yeah. And so maybe that, maybe there's some yeah. of that in, in that sort it's of thing. It's been proven in rabbits. I know that. So mm-hmm. um, mammals, I mean, I wouldn't put it past the husky. Yeah. Cause they're just, they're blind as a bat and somehow they know where mom is and, and how to go find her when, when the milk bar opens. Yeah. Uh, it's always funny to see about 10 of them up at the. And it would make evolutionary bar. sense. I mean, mm-hmm. it would make absolute sense. Yeah. A guide, a, a sensory guide to find food because whether you feed in those first few hours of life is critical to your survival. Yeah. So, definitely definitely yeah. what are some other aspects of the book we haven't touched on electricity let's see there's a few different things you talk about how reality is neither true nor complete so so that's the very end of the book mm-hmm. so i use the platypus as a cautionary tale so here's an animal with a sense that we don't have so it is able this creature this the bill of this creature is studded with thousands, tens of thousands of tiny electric sensors. Really? Which it uses to detect the electric field of its prey. So it'll dive underwater, it'll close its eyes, close its ears, won't smell, and it's guided by it basically like have you ever seen metal detectors? Yeah. You get in the fields around near where I live. Yeah. You know, using their metal detector across back and forth across the rocky bed. The duckbill platypus will wave its beak back and forth across the rocky bed and underneath detect the little animals, crustaceans and whatnot that it's going to feed on. Wow. I did not even know that. Yeah. That's crazy, man. (laughs) They're pretty cool, the platypuses. So here is an animal with a sense that's completely... And electricity, unless we stick our hand in a socket, we're not going to feel it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so I might go try that with a pizza. Yeah. Stick my hand and see if I recognize the but pizza. You can't feel the electric um, field given off by a living creature. That's so, crazy. So reality is only dictated by the sensors that your body has. Wow. So, wow. so here's a creature with a very different sensory reality to us, and that. So that's all. That's really. It's a fun idea to leap out the book on because. It shows you that your reality is neither true nor complete. 
But also, as a sci-fi way of looking at it, you could put various implants into yourself to boost your, to, to basically pick up sensory information that a human generally doesn't pick up. Mm. And because another aspect of the book is the neuroplasticity of our brain. Mm. Our brain is absolute wizard at being able to take information and, and use it. So the blind artist, Eshref Armagan, is a chap I met who paints, draws, yet has never seen anything and says that he sees the world through his fingertips. Really? And he, That's yeah. It's cool. quite Amazing. Something. And yeah. he had his brain studied by um, neuroscientists at Harvard. And they asked him when he was in the brain scanner, please feel this, Eshref, and draw a picture. And they were looking at his brain as he did this. And what they saw is that his visual cortex, the part of the brain that's lighting up in your, in your head and my head right now, because we're looking at one another, the visual cortex, his visual cortex, when he was feeling the world, his wow. visual cortex lit up. Wow. So your brain does not lie fallow. Our brain has been carved up. Our cortex has been carved up according to what scientists think, where you hear, your auditory cortex, your visual Mm -hmm. cortex. But if you can't hear and you can't see, those parts of the brain are being used by other sensory information. And for Eshref, because he used his hands so much, the visual core, he does see through his fingers, essentially. I mean, wow. it kind of interrogates, what do you mean by sight? If you're talking mm-hmm. about the fact that his visual cortex is lighting up, Eshref can see. He's blind, but he can see. Anyway, back to, back to the platypus and the kind of sci-fi idea of inputting different senses into our, um, into our brain. That is entirely possible because our, neuro, our brains are so neuroplastic. In fact, there's a brilliant book written by um, Robert Eagleman, called LiveWired, and he's very interested in, in, in this idea and hmm. is trying various plugins to enhance humans. I, over the tech scene, I've bumped into various people over the years that do uh, biohacking to themselves there we and go. all sorts of different things. What do you think about like that? And like Elon Musk is evidently working on a company for bio where you can you know put something in your brain, you can plug it in. I mean, so, I mean, <laughs> I'd rather someone else tried it before me. I'm quite happy with my sensory umbelt. Um, I mean, I'm curious. I think it's extraordinary, but I don't know that I would particularly want to gadget myself up, app myself up so I can, I can GPS my way around or like, or like the bar-tailed Godwit, you know, migrate across the sea from Alaska to New Zealand on the back of uh, healing geomagnetic fields. I mean, it's fun, but, but I find it a bit, um, too sci-fi for me to kind of get a yeah. get a grip on. I'm still trying to master this whole thing going on right now with myself. So yeah. you know, I don't I don't really need to add anything right now. I'm just trying yeah. to deal with this. And, and the book is about is it's asking you to slow up a little bit and, and okay. think about actually as we are, just as we are, the boring waking up in the in, in the morning, boring Monday Monday morning, mundane. The book is asking you to realize. The, the, the kind of wonders that are happening in the way that you're seeing color, mm. in the way that you're hearing the world, in the way that you're smelling the world through two nostrils. So you're going to kind of stereoscopic, stereoscopic smellscape. Mm-hmm. I mean, so the book is, uh, we are wonderful as is. Mm-hmm. 
I've got this uh, website. I'm going to watch some of her videos after we get off uh, the Conchetta and Antico. Am I pronouncing yeah. that right? But I kind of feel ripped off, eh? Like, I want to see a million colors. Like, I feel like I got, like, a low-grade old model of iPhone put in my brain. I can't see well. Like, what kind of crap is this? Can I... Can I ask for a refund or a receipt or something like that? <laughs> so you need to, you need to call Elon Musk and ask for the Rainbow Vision goggles. Hello, <laughs> God! What the hell, man? You gave me but it might uh, give you a headache. Who knows? Too that's much. True. I don't know. Maybe yeah. Maybe seeing too many colors would be. I don't know. If I want to see a lot of colors, I'll just drink a lot of vodka and drop some mushrooms or something. I don't know. Take Nestle. some acid. Yeah, yeah. There are other ways. <laughs> that's probably the right. way to do it. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> There, there are other ways that you can wake up from. <laughs> yeah, we call that Wednesdays around here. So there you go. Uh, anything more you want to tease out on the book before we go? Golly, I mean, I mean, I suppose one of the big messages that I'd like people to uh, get is that is the is back to the point I made at the very beginning that we're one big family. I mean, conservation and looking after our planet is very much in the news. And I suppose the book brings home the point. I mean, what staggered me was all these similarities, sensory similarities, say between us and the vampire bat in the proteins that enable us to feel heat or feel pain being the same, Mm -hmm. or the opsins, the little uh, proteins in the back of our eye that enable us to see being the Mm -hmm. same as all these creatures. I mean, I found endless echoes of ourself throughout the animal kingdom, or rather endless echoes of them in me. So that's, that is one world. We are one family philosophy. Yeah. I'm going to still keep killing the family members that I have their spiders and mosquitoes, though. That's not going to end. Do you know, I've on Twitter, there were a couple of people who were uh, a bit upset by my sense of time, sense of time chapter, because there is a, it's a spider that tells the story. Oh, really? The phobes got upset. I mean, I'm not, I'm a little bit scary. I've held tarantulas, Uh but I can't, the the smaller spindly ones still get me. But I, but they were, they were rather wonderful. It's quite, I mean, I'm, I'm quite happy to see, to see the wonder in a spider, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, as long as they're outside my house, we're cool. Yeah. When you come in without an invite, you don't wipe your feet, then we have a problem. Especially if you're if you've poisonous, then you know that's kind yeah. of a thing. Because I've got dogs, and so I don't I don't ever want the dogs to to get it. I remember one time I found a giant uh, black widow right above my dog's water. It was a brand new puppy I'd bought in too, and so oh. it would have been a really just not cool. But aside from spiders, now they're running off everyone. Everyone's like arachnophobia. So give us your plugs one more time so we can find you on the interwebs and get to know you better. Thank you, Chris. So the book is sentient and you can find me on Twitter and also on Instagram under J.M. Higgins. There you go. And thank you for coming on the show today. We certainly appreciate it. We've, I've learned a lot and I'm going to go I have to call up God and get angry with him that I'm not getting 100 million colors on my TV. <laughs> I'm going to try adjusting my radar or something or my antenna. I think you're wonderful just the way you are. Oh, well, thank you. You're the only one. Even my mom doesn't like me. So <laughs> thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks so much for tuning in. Go over to the book wherever fine books are sold as Sentient, How Animals Illuminate the Wonder of Our Human Senses, February 2-22 coming out. That's, or, let's see, do, let me do this right. 2-22-22 coming out. This is the palindrome. Yeah, let's like, oh. get lucky. <laughs> There you go. There you go. So order that baby up. You can get it. What's today? Today's the 12th. So yeah, you can get it ahead of time for your book club. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss. See the bell and uh, see everything we're reading and reviewing over there. YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Voss, bell notification. All of our groups, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Stay safe, be good to each other, and we'll see you guys 
next time. Chris, thank you.